Welcome to the Gateway.Live podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray that God speaks to you through this message and through his word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in. We kicked off a series a couple weeks ago entitled Anchored. And this series falls a little bit into the deeper end of the theological pool. And so there's, there's a lot of nerdiness in this series and this sermon. Last week, I kicked off a four-week sermon entitled, What is God Like? And last week, I told you that bad theology starts with the wrong answer to the question, what is God like? So we're spending these four weeks talking about what is God like? And really, we're not even talking about it. We're just reading what God has said about himself. Everything we know about God, God has revealed. None of us has a new idea about God. Everything we know about him, he has revealed to us. And he has given us much in scripture to know what he is like. So we don't have to wonder what he's like. He's told us what he's like. In this four-week sermon, we're going through the attributes of God. Not all of them, not even close to all of them, but we're going through as many as we can. Last week, we started off with six, and this week, we're going over seven, all right? And since this is a a four-week sermon, today's first point is not point number one, it's actually point number seven, all right? So let's continue our walk through answering the question, what is God like? Here's point number seven. The transcendence of God. When we talk about who God is, we have to talk about the transcendence of God. God is transcendent. Here's what that means. Above. God is above all. He is superior to all. He is beyond all. He is over all. First Chronicles 29 verse 11 says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, is the power and the glory, the victory and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Now, as Christians, we do a lot of talking about the fact that God is close to us. We say things like, I sense God's presence, I feel God's near to me. And when we talk about things like that, we can from time to time have a tendency to minimize the transcendence of God. The more we feel that God is close to us, the easier it is to start believing the lie that he is like me. And I'm gonna show you one verse in scripture that I think is one of the best in the Bible when I start kind of bringing God down to my level. This one chapter, and for those of you who did your homework last week, I gave you Isaiah 40 as your homework. You read this verse this past week, all right? Isaiah chapter 40, verse 12. Now this is God giving us a small sliver of his divine resume. Remember that, all right? God says this, who else has held the oceans in his hand? That's, that's just kind of cocky right there, right? That's a godly cockiness, all right? And I love it. Who has measured off the heavens with his fingers? Who else knows the weight of the earth or has weighed the mountains and hills on a scale? Okay, now we're going we're gonna to do a little exercise here, and I want everybody at our Tempe campus to do this. I want everybody here in Scottsdale and everybody watching online, all right? 
Here's the first thing I want you to do. I want you to take your hand and put it like this, all right? Everybody. I want everybody to participate in this, all right? Take your hand and kind of form a little bit of a, a cup and look in the bottom of your palm. There's kind of a, a hole there. The, the original language says the hollow of his hand, okay? So I want you to take the index finger of your other hand and draw a circle around the low part of your palm, okay? Draw several circles and just look inside that circle while I read this verse again. Who else has held the oceans in the hollow of his hand? Okay, now look up at me. That's gangster right there. Now let me give you some facts behind this. Did you know 71% of the earth's surface is water? 71%. Let me give you a little even better perspective of how much water he says fits in his hand. Somewhere around 912,500 cubic miles of water. Look at your hand again. That's a big hand. Okay? All right? Now, I want you to take your fingers, your thumb and your index finger. And I want you, we do a lot of measuring like this. I want you to try and stretch it out, everybody. I want you to stretch it out as far as you can and measure as much as you can while I read this next part of the verse. All right? Who has measured off the heavens with his gangster fingers? Okay, remember last week what we talked about, that the sun could contain over one million earths within itself. And the sun is just one star, not even the biggest. There are over 400 billion stars in our one Milky Way galaxy. And we said that scientists estimate that there are about 125 billion galaxies and God says, who else has measured all that like this? He's kind of big. He is above all. When you can do this to 125 billion galaxies, you win. Okay, here's the last part of the exercise. I want you to take your arm like this, and I want you to flex your bicep as much as you possibly can, as though you were holding something up with one hand, all right? Just flex until you start breathing heavy, all right? We're going to get a little workout in in church. Let me read this next part. Who else knows the weight of the earth or has weighed the mountains and hills on a scale? Okay, look at me. Did you know when we talk about all the water on the earth that as far as weight is concerned, that the water on the earth only weighs 0.02% of the earth's complete mass? In other words, the entire weight of the world is 4,400 times more than the weight of the water. And God goes, who else? Who else has held that up, put it on a scale and measured it? But just me. That would be me. Okay, listen. The transcendence of God helps keep us from bringing God down to our level. God is close to you, but that does not mean he is anything like you. See, the temptation of proximity is that we will take that which we're close to for granted. And when God says, I'm close to you, we do this all the time. We think he's our height. We think he's just like us. No, he's not. Anytime you start to think that, just look down in your hand and imagine holding all of the water of the earth in that small circle of your hand. He is transcendent. Now, let's talk about the romantic side of transcendence. There's a verse in scripture that is often attached to 
the transcendence of God. It's Jeremiah 23, 23. And God is talking, and he makes a really strong statement, and I think it gets a little bit misunderstood and even misinterpreted from time to time. Listen to what he says. Am I a God near at hand, says the Lord, and not a God afar off? Okay, I personally believe God, he's griping a little bit in this passage, and let me help you kind of dig deeper and understand why. He's basically in the first part of, of this verse saying, yes, I get it. You understand that I am a God who is close. I've promised that to you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. You understand that I am close to you. But am I not also a God who is far off? Now, why would he say that? Here's what I personally believe. He says that because we get too comfortable with his closeness and not enough of an understanding of his transcendence that he is above, over, beyond, supremely higher than all. Now, why is this important to you? Well, think about this. It's kind of romantic what God's saying. Yeah, I'm close to you, but I'm also far. Why is that romantic? Because think about it. What do you do when something you want is just barely outside of your reach? You reach for it. Here's what I believe God is saying in Jeremiah 23, 23. No matter how close you feel I am, never stop reaching for me. I want you to reach for me every moment of your life. Yes, I am a God that's close, but I am also a God who is far off. God is beyond our reach, and this keeps us reaching for him constantly. Now, when you believe in the transcendence of God, something very special happens. You never take for granted when he walks into the room. It's always a special thing when he walks into the room, when you realize just how big he is. Here's the eighth point as we talk about what is God like. The immutability of God. God is immutable. What does that mean? It simply means God never changes. He never changes changes. This is really good news for us. Malachi chapter 3 verse 6, God says this himself, I am the Lord and I do not change. He makes it really simple. (laughs) There's no reading in between the lines on this one. I am the Lord and I do not change. Hebrews 13 verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Thank God he is. James 1.17, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. Now understand why this is such good news for us. If God could change, he could go from better to worse. Or he could go from worse to better. But here's the great news. His perfection makes it impossible for him to move in either of those directions. He is what he is, and he is perfect, and that will never change. Now, think about why this is such great news for us. Have you ever been in a relationship with someone who had the power to change? It can be two very big things, frustrating and confusing. Think about this. You fall in love with somebody, and for years and years and years, maybe even decades, they do something a certain way, and then they go through that special little thing called midlife crisis. And they decide, you know what? I know I've done it that way for decades, but I'm no longer going to be like that. 
I'm going to be a new me. If, if you have that thought process, just watch the people around you and see if they like the new you. They have the power to change. That doesn't mean it's a good change. And when they do that, we get frustrated. We also get confused. Why? Because I don't know which version of you I'm going to get. Am I going to get the old you or am I going to get the new and improved you that nobody likes? See, listen, I am grateful that God gave us the power to change because we're not perfect. But I am more grateful that God does not change because he is perfect, and I, for one, would like him to stay that way. I don't want him to change. I don't want him to go from better to worse. I want him to remain exactly as he is perfect. And isn't it awesome that James 1 says he, he never changes and he never casts a shifting shadow? Here's what that means. He's never going to play a trick on you. He's never going to pull a bait and switch on you. He is what he is. He said, I am who I am, and that never changes. The immutability of God emphasizes the dependability of God. You can count on him because there has never been anyone with his record of consistency. It is flawless. He is our dependable God, and one of the big reasons why he never changes. Here's the ninth thing we got to talk about. Point number nine, the omnipotence of God. God is omnipotent. This means all-powerful. God is all-powerful because he has unlimited power. He doesn't just have all power. He has unlimited power. Revelation 1 verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come? The Almighty One. Okay, this word Almighty, I think some of us translate this word as kind of mighty. Oh yeah, like he's kind of strong, you know, this, this, he, he's, he's strong most of the time. No, no, no. He calls himself the Almighty One. What does the word Almighty mean in the Greek? This is going to shock you. Almighty. You're a Greek scholar and you didn't even know it. All might. He has all power, which means unlimited power. His power knows no bounds. It is infinite because he is infinite. His power is limitless. Now, one of my favorite things that God does related to his power and his communication of his power is he has this phrase in the Bible to remind us all in kind of a sarcastic way that he's got all power. And I want you to see this phrase. Jeremiah 32, verse 27, listen to what God says. I am the Lord, the God of all the peoples of the world. Is anything too hard for me? Now think about this. Some of us kind of walk around the house as though this was true about us. We walk around, is anything too hard for me? We finish a project and we're like, is anything too hard for me? I built a chicken coop in my backyard. I never built anything in my life, and it's the Taj Mahal for chickens. When I was done, I kind of beat my chest and, and said to my wife, is anything too hard for me? She quickly answered, oh yeah, lots of things. <laughs> God says, is anything too hard for me? Why does he ask that question? Because nothing is too hard for him. Remember Abraham and Sarah, when the angel says, hey, 
you're going to have a baby. I know you're old, but you're going to have a baby. And they kind of laugh it off and go, that's impossible. Listen to the response, Genesis 18, 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return about this time next year and Sarah will have a son. Now, let's think about what this means that God has unlimited power. Let's try and personalize it. Have you ever gone to the gym and you're working out and you started your workout with uh, lighter weights and as the workout went on, the weights got heavier. And the heavier the weight got, the harder things got. Okay, this is going to be a little bit hard for us to wrap our minds around because this principle is true of our human existence, that the heavier things get, the harder they get. Okay, that is not true for God. Let me say it in a different way, because this is probably one of my favorite things about God having all power. All of God's acts are done without effort. The heaviest weight you could wrap your mind around to God weighs the same as the lightest feather you could find. All of God's acts are done without effort. And I don't have the time to really pull this apart, but think about what this means. Think about a passage like 2 Thessalonians 2. It talks about the Antichrist. What happens to the Antichrist? How is the Antichrist dealt with? Well, the Bible says that the Lord God slays him. One translation uses that word. Slays him with what? The breath of his mouth. Now that's halitosis right there. And then it goes on and it says, and destroys the Antichrist with the majesty or splendor of his coming. Now you know you have power when you walk into the room and you take out the Antichrist. We have this idea that there's this cosmic battle. He has unlimited power. Nothing comes close. Everything God does requires no effort from him on his part because he has all power. So the next time you take a really big ask to God and, and it seems impossible to you, remember the God in whom you've placed your trust. It requires no effort of him. It's simple because he has unlimited power. Now, let me give you two things really quickly that are awesome about God's power related to us. Here's the first one. God's power is at work within you. God's power, think about this. His unlimited power is at work within you. Now, I'm going to read you a verse that gets, it gets misquoted constantly, and it frustrates me. As a pastor and somebody who loves God's word, it frustrates me to hear people misquote this because I think they pull out the most important part of the verse. Let's read it together. Ephesians 3.20, Now all glory to God, who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we can ask or think. How is this verse most often quoted? God is able to do infinitely above all we could ask for or imagine. But is that what Ephesians 3.20 says? Partially, what is left out in the middle God is able through his power at work within you to do exceedingly abundantly above all you could ask for or imagine. That is even better than the way it's quoted. Oh, God is able. Oh, my God is able. He is able to do 
exceedingly abundantly above all I could ask for or imagine. Yes, he is. And the better news is, he is able to do it through you. That's crazy. Unlimited power at work within you. I've seen loved ones, friends, and family kick 40-year addictions like that. Why? Because they're strong? No. The unlimited power of God at work within them. Just a thought. Do we tap into that power enough? I don't think we do, because I think we forget about it. Here's the second part. God's power is available to you. It's not just at work within you. It's available to you. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Big question. Well, how much power will I receive? Here's what I think God responds with when we ask that question. Well, God, how much power will I receive? Here's what I think he says. How much power do you need? I think most of us get the power we need to live throughout our days. And if we stepped out in faith a little bit more, he'd give us more power to do that too. But since most of us kind of kick back and coast, we don't need that much of his power, but we get what we need. What would your life look like if you started stepping out in faith in such a way that you needed more of the power of God? Here's what would happen. He'd give it to you, and you'd receive it. His power is available to you. You need power when you go to work? Get you some. You need power in a tough season. In your marriage, get you some. You need power when you feel like you can't get out of bed because you're overwhelmed with depression and anxiety. Don't reach for that pill bottle. Get you some of that power. His power is available to us. That's great news because your strength is not enough for your calling. This is why God makes available his power to us. Your calling is too big to do in your own strength. You're going to need his power. And thank God he's made it available to you, and he doesn't make you beg for it. Here's the tenth thing we got to talk about. The wisdom of God. The wisdom of God. God has all wisdom. Now, we're going to talk about the omniscience of God, that God knows everything, but most people think the wisdom of God and the omniscience of God are the same thing. They're not. They're two different things. The omniscience means he knows everything, but he doesn't just know everything, okay? He has all wisdom. Let me give you a definition of wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to devise perfect ends and to achieve those ends by the most perfect means. Here's another way to say it. Wisdom is knowing the best way to ensure the best outcome. That's what wisdom is. That's, a, that's another step above knowing, all right? Knowledge and wisdom are not the same thing. You can know a lot and not be wise. Wisdom is knowing the best way to ensure the best outcome. Job 12, verse 13. But true wisdom and power are found in God. Counsel and understanding are his. God doesn't just know everything. God knows the best way to do everything. Now, you may not know this about the church, but one of the, the things that God wants his church to be known for is wisdom. I always laugh when people come up to me every once in a while. It happens a couple times a year, and, and they'll say something like this. Preston, you should preach Jesus more. 
You should preach Jesus. I mean, Paul said, Christ and him crucified. Absolutely. 1 Corinthians 2, he said, hey, when I was with you, I knew Christ and him crucified and that alone. Okay. Can I just ask you a question? Because I know what they mean when they're saying that, but who wrote 1 Corinthians 13? By the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The love chapter. Paul did. Okay, listen. God doesn't want his church to only be known for him or himself. He also wants his church to be known for his ways. His ways are wise. Let me show you in Scripture, Ephesians 3.10. God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom, not just in one thing, in all things. God wants to display his wisdom through his church in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Have you ever wanted to know the best way to ensure the best outcome for something in any area of your life? Anybody? Okay. If you don't, there's something wrong with you. Because what that means is you're looking for the worst way. Of course, we're all looking for the best way to ensure the best outcome. But something you need to understand about finding the best way. You will never do something the best way if you always have to do it your way. My way is very rarely the best way. I like to convince myself that it's the best way. But oftentimes, it's nowhere near the best way. God alone knows the best way. So here's the million dollar question. What do we do when we want to know the best way to ensure the best outcome for something in the workplace, for something in our homes, for something in a relationship, for something in family? What do we do? James chapter 1 verse 5 tells us, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God. Now watch how complicated this is, because he makes this so unbelievably complicated. When you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he'll give it to you. Do you see all those strings attached? I mean, my word, that is complicated. You need wisdom at your workplace? Oh, Preston, I thought the wisdom of God was only applied to spiritual things. No, 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 the wisdom of God applies to all things. Did you know God wants to help you make wise decisions at your workplace? This may blow your mind, but God wants to help you build your business using his wisdom. God wants to help you build your marriage using his wisdom. And if you need it, just ask him for it. He will gladly give it to you. Our God has all wisdom. Romantic question. Why does he have all wisdom? I'll tell you my personal opinion. I think one of the biggest reasons God has all wisdom isn't so he can say he knows everything and the best way to do everything. I think he has all wisdom because he never wants to run out of answers when his children come to him and say, Daddy, I need help. I need your wisdom. God has all wisdom because he never wants to come up with nothing when you ask for help. He always knows the best way to ensure the best outcome. Leverage him. He wants to help you. Point number 11. Let's talk about the omnipresence of God. The omnipresence of God. God is omnipresent. What does that mean? It means God is always present. God is everywhere simultaneously. Since God is infinite, 
his being knows no boundaries. I know that's tough for our, uh, our finite minds to wrap around his infinite being, that he is spirit, and he has no boundaries, that he is everywhere simultaneously. Psalm 139, verse 7, David says, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. He got a revelation. God is everywhere. There isn't anywhere I can go where you're not. Now, as a dad, this is a really romantic thing. Because as a dad, with kids, my kids all play sports and they constantly have games. One's in Denver right now playing in a volleyball tournament. My son has a big tournament here locally. As a dad, there are places I want to be to support my kids that sometimes I can't be because I'm not just a dad, I'm a pastor. And while there are places I want to be, I can't always be there because there are some places I have to be. And so there are times I feel pulled apart because I never want my kids to think that where I am is more important than where they are. This week, I was in Denver, and I was supposed to come home on Wednesday. And Riley and Holly, uh, my oldest daughter and my wife, were flying to Denver on Wednesday for a volleyball tournament all weekend. And if you watched the news this week, you probably saw they invented this term for the, w the weather that happened in Denver called the bomb cyclone, okay? It's like a tornado and a blizzard got married while I was in Denver, okay? 12 inches of snow like that and 80 to 90 mile an hour gusts, okay? With literally 60 to 70 mile an hour steady winds for about eight or nine hours. And I was driving in five of those hours, okay? Everyone else is frustrated to no end. Over 600 flights were canceled. And I ended up having to stay two extra days. I got stuck for 48 hours in Denver. Everyone else is griping about it. But something awesome happened for me. Because I got stuck in Denver for two extra days, I actually got to watch two of Riley's volleyball matches before I headed home to come preach. That might seem small to you, but I personally look at God, and I said this on Instagram this week, if you're looking for someone to blame for the bomb cyclone, you can blame me, because I'm pretty sure God did it for me. <laughs> because I couldn't be in two places at once. And it was a sweet little thing that I got to be with my little girl, watching her do what she loves, when I wasn't supposed to be. I can't tell you how many times I've missed games because of things I had to do. And it ripped me apart. Can I just tell you why I think God is omnipresent? And at the very least, I'll tell you the best thing about the fact that God is omnipresent. I think God's favorite reason for being omnipresent is so that he never, ever misses one of your games. He is everywhere all at once because he never wants to miss a moment of your life. He is a daddy who is obsessed with his children. 
and he never wants to miss a moment. Where he is is where you are. And that leads in to this next part, the eminence of God. See, the omnipresence of God is God is everywhere, but it's even better than that. We have to talk about the eminence of God, which means the nearness of God. The creator is present personally with his creation. God is near to us. I am with you always is repeated 22 times, both in the Old and New Testaments. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, a messianic prophecy, says, Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Psalm 46, verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. He is present. He is near at all times. God is always near. In Psalm 139, I'm not going to read it. It's not in your notes, but in verse 18, David says this incredible statement that I remember the Lord ringing my bell with years ago. He says, and when I awaken or wake up, you are still there. Now, I remember years ago, Riley was probably three. It was the height of her curly blonde hair and glow-in-the-dark blue eyes. And I would go into her room in the mornings, and I would just stare at her before I went to the office. And one morning, I was standing there, and I just got overwhelmed with the fact that out of all the daddies in the history of the world, I can't wrap my mind around the fact that you picked me to be hers. And I was just thanking God. And I'm standing there like a blubbering idiot, just thanking him for her. And out of nowhere, as clearly as I felt I've ever heard him in my heart, I felt the Lord say, Preston, do you realize I do this every morning of your life? And he took me back to Psalm 139. He said, as you close your eyes at night, I sit here staring at you. And I don't leave and when you wake up and open your eyes for the first time every morning, I'm still standing here staring at you. People, that is divine obsession. And David figured it out. He figured it out. He said, that you're everywhere, but you're not just everywhere. You're everywhere because you always want to be around me. That's romantic. God isn't just always present. God is always near. And now I want to talk about one of my favorite things about God. Point number 13, the omniscience of God. The omniscience of God. I know for some it would make sense theologically to talk about omniscience before the wisdom of God. But you'll understand why I saved this for last, because this is one of my favorite things about God. God knows everything. Job 37 verse 16 do you know the balancings of the clouds, the wondrous works of him who is perfect in knowledge? 1 John 3.20, for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Now, I'm a nerdy learner. Learner is my number one strength on the strengths finder list. Uh, every day of my life, I'm trying to learn something new. I will annoy you if you're around me for very long, because I always want to learn more. Okay? I never stop asking questions. It's just the way God wired me. I'm a learner, and it is impossible for me to wrap my mind around this one theological fact. God can never learn a thing. 
God can never learn a thing because he knows everything. God knows everything actual and possible and every detail of everything past, present, and future. God knows everything about everything. What word, what adjective would you use to describe someone like that? Genius? Brilliant? Yes, our God is a God who has infinite intellect. But it gets much better than that. He is also a lover whose intellect is motivated by intimacy. Let me show you. Psalm 139, verse 1. O Lord, you have examined my heart, and watch this next part, and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down or when I stand up. You know my thoughts, even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and you follow me. You place your hand of blessing upon my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. See, knowing everything about everything is remarkable. But knowing everything about me is romantic. And a couple days ago, as I was getting ready to leave for Denver, I was just having my time with the Lord. And I just felt like he gave me this picture. And I'll try and paint it as best I can. I wouldn't say it was like a vision. I, I, I would say it was like a shot to my heart. <laughs> and in this picture, God and I were sitting on a, on a bench in a park. And it was like I was this really, really young little boy. And instead of, instead of having this deep voice, I had this really high-pitched voice, really sweet and innocent. And I asked the Lord, God, why do you know everything? And he said, Preston, I don't know everything so that I can say that I do. And I don't know everything because I need to. For I have no needs. I'll explain to you why I know everything. Son, you know how you tell me that by the time you die, you want to know more about me than any person on the earth. And you do it because you love me. Well, let me tell you something. You'll never know everything about me. You're finite, you're limited. But I am not. And in the same way you tell me you want to know everything about me, I want you to understand something. I don't just want to know everything about you. I do know everything about you. And son, the reason that I know everything about everything is I can't know everything about you unless I know everything about everything. And so I do. 
And I felt like he said it like this. This may seem cheesy to you, but I felt like he said, sweetheart, I don't know the number of hairs on your head because I know everything about everything. I know the number of hairs on your head because I count every one of them as they fall. I count them when they fall off in the shower. I count them when they fall off on your pillow as you sleep. I count them as they fall off at the gym. I count them as they fall off in the office. I don't know the number of hairs on your head because I know everything about everything. I know that number because I never stop staring at you. I know everything about you because I am obsessed with you. Now, don't make this about me. This is what he says to you. Yeah, it's great that he knows everything about everything, but what's better than that is he knows everything about you. And here's, here was the clincher as we're sitting on this picnic, on this, uh, on this park bench. He says, Preston, do you remember in college when you told me what your favorite subject was? I said, yeah. That was when I got a revelation that this is what I was made to do, to study you. And anything related to the Bible was my favorite subject. He goes, someone should ask me what my favorite subject is. I said, what's your favorite subject? He goes, you. Out of all the subjects in the world, you're my favorite subject. The God who is above all, who holds all the water in the palm of his hand, isn't just next to you and near you always. He's near you always because he's obsessed with you and has been since before your birth. He gave life to you because he couldn't wait to meet you. I have no idea how to end this other than just to say close your eyes. This isn't about what I'm saying right now. I know for a fact that the God of the universe is not just sitting above the circle of the earth right now while he is. He is also sitting next to you. Wrapping his arms around you. Don't just understand that God is near you. Understand the why behind it. He is near you because he's obsessed with you. Thanks for joining us on Gateway.Live. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com.